Welcome to Blue State Conversations. This is our place to discuss the political theory from all sides, bridging the political divides that split our society. Good afternoon. It is William and Matthew. Today, we're going to be talking about Christianity. And here's our opening problem. Everyone has heard the statistics. Christianity is on the decline in America and the West. Lectures on spirituality are on the rise, so they're Christians, and they don't even know it. It's the fault of those adhering to the old ways that aren't important anymore. Whatever your stance, there are over 30,000 denominations to choose from, and nobody is choosing them. College students especially are leaving the church. And today, we want to stitch it up a bit, and we're going to give our opinions today. Yeah, just give an overview of the conversation and make sure that, you know, all the different arguments so that people can have an understanding when they leave here. And uh, the reason I want to do this one as a straight opinion, because obviously both of us are Christians, I wanted to make this just a direct commentary from us on it. And part of the reason is there were two events that kind of happened. The first one was a Mother's Day sermon. When I heard about this sermon, I was appalled. The church had a guest pastor come in and the guest pastor Began not by thanking mother, talking about it, but actually she started talking about, we need to be thinking about those who aren't mothers. We need to be thinking about the marginalized in motherhood. She lectured people. How dare you talk about mothers when there are so many who aren't mothers or can't be mothers. We need to be thinking about that when we celebrate mothers. And it was a horrifically insulting thing that occurred. You can just imagine if somebody showed up at your son's birthday party and started lecturing you about whether or not you were thinking about anybody else's birthday. <laughs> it wouldn't be good. I want to take a second to make that personal. My wife and I lost a baby of three months old at the end of last year. And even though we're excited because we're pregnant again, but the thing is, Mother's Day is going to come and go for us. And we're going to be sad because our baby isn't here anymore. And if that makes her marginalized, fine. But we're not going to sit there and go, wow, all these other moms need to feel bad for us because we're in a marginalized position. We had something horrific happen to us. Hey, be happy about celebrating motherhood and Mother's Day. There's a reason we have a day for things. And it's not to forget about everybody else, but it is to celebrate things worth celebrating. There's something that is simple but powerful about those things. And the other thing that caught my attention was an article by the CEO of Christianity Today where he laid the blame for racism as a sin that is the collective of Christianity. That if you are a Christian today, then you bear the sin of Christians past. That idea is such a sneakily dangerous idea where we simply remove any responsibility for sin from us and we place it on the community rectify for us. Because instead of it being a personal relationship, it becomes a group relationship. And that removes much of the point of Christianity. Why are these things popping up? Nobody really dared to say these sorts of things, even just 20 years ago. Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting because we talk about culture a lot. It's the whole, once you assign a group something, it becomes harder to pin down. It's like when people say all white people are racist. But it starts becoming another thing where if you start talking about mothers and marginalized mothers, and if you take that in the direction of 
we as Christians need to feel bad as a community or be directly attached to the sins of the past, well, what can any one person say? Because it's now not about any one person. It's about the community. And if you have to respond to that type of a baseline, you have to first legitimize the baseline, but you can't. You have to stand up and say, no, I disagree with your premise. And so we can't even have a discussion about whether or not we need to pay penance for previous sins as a group when I disagree that the group as a whole is to pay penance for the past. Yeah, I think the reason that we're having these sorts of discussions that are so off of what Christianity is, they're not fully aware of why they do what they do. That kind of seems vague, but a lot of us remember people would talk about how Christianity sounds like a list of don'ts. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't hang with those people. If you don't do that, and then if you do that, you'll be good. But I think the issue is the do. So I know the don'ts, but you can't ever have a list of don'ts that is so comprehensive that it covers every situation you actually encounter. Don't rape easy, but think about where the argument is. It's not about whether or not people agree about people should be raping. Nobody's running around going, actually, I think rape's fine. Nobody's doing that. The actual discussion that's taking place in society is what's harassment? What's inappropriate? What are men supposed to do? They're not sure, right? Because again, I know that I don't do these things, but actual life comes with a lot of different situations that don't always neatly fit things. All the studies say, don't cohabitate. It doesn't improve your odds. The people are doing it more. Why are they choosing that? even though the odds are against them. The reason is they're not, they know the don't, but they're not sure about the do. So why do you do anything that you believe? I mean, it's a good question. I would assume that the reason why people do things that they believe in is because they believe it, which brings the question of why do they believe anything? And I tend to go back to people believe what they grew up with in their childhood, and then they move away from that as they become adults. When I say to my kids growing up, hey, don't have sex before marriage, right? The kids are going to say, okay, so what happens after that? And the problem is a lot of people's response is simply, well, it's bad. Yeah, this goes a lot of different places, but like a major part of what became a major part of Christianity is purity culture. I grew up with it. My sisters grew up with it. And my sisters, one of them said to me that she wished that our parents had talked to us more about consent. And I was like, wait a minute. Why would they need to teach us about consent when what they taught us was don't have sex before marriage and at that point you'll be an adult so you can have those conversations with your spouse. And then the actual conversations about consent were about how to not put yourself into dangerous positions. At least that was how it was for my sisters. And for me it was just don't date during high school and you'll be fine. And in college, be smart, and we don't recommend that you have sex before you're married because that would just be disrespectful to the woman you're dating. That conversation of we should have had more conversations about consent. Meanwhile, consent is in like every TV show and every movie. It's very interesting because people tend to bind purity culture with Christianity. They're not one and the same, although they can influence each other. And I personally think that purity culture helped me to make better choices, but it's also something that's caused my sisters to feel very disenfranchised with Christianity and purity culture as it impacted their faith. 
But I think it's because as you bring it up, when she asks about consent, what that sounds like to me is, well, she's having difficulty with issues and situations that aren't simply answered by purity. Stay pure. Well, how am I supposed to get a guy to like me? Well, by being pure. Okay, great. Now what do I do? What comes next? Yeah. It's an interesting thing because as a parent, I had a girl before and my thoughts as a parent are that I would have probably taught my child that purity is important. And if you care enough about yourself, then you're not going to want to give it away until you're married because who's really worth it? Are they really worth it? The answer is probably not. And if they don't want to wait till marriage, then they're obviously not going to care about you enough to stay with it. And that was something that worked for me. And I can attest that I am a gay man who married a woman. That's not something the world's going to understand. That was a personal choice that I made that I would find a woman who understood what I go through, but also that I could love because I knew that I wanted to get married because I am a sexual person. And so I knew it made sense for me to get married, but I also knew that's not something that's a hard choice. And just because we're talking about Christianity, I'm going to use this stage to say that there are two reasons why people who are gay say that it's okay to be gay according to the Bible. And I want to destroy those two very quickly. The first is that there's no mention of homosexuality in the New Testament, and that's actually incorrect. In Romans 1, I believe it's verse 29, and the few verses before it, Paul was talking about it was unnatural for a woman to lay with a woman or a man to with a man. And then later, there's a list of sins that are listed and is the word fornication. That word comes up in the King James Version specifically. And that word is actually translated from the Greek word porneia. And porneia, one of its many meanings, includes homosexual behavior. And so it's actually called out explicitly, but the language barrier keeps us from being able to understand it better. And the second reason is that there was no such thing in that culture as a monogamous homosexual couple. And to that, I just say BS. Here's my singular reason for that BS. It is because God actually knows everything that has yet to come and has come. And so God doesn't have to lay out a huge list of all the things that fall under maybes and maybe nots because Greek words as they were written in the time covers those sins. And so I came to realize that as a Christian, I could identify as a child of God first and as a gay man second. And then that would make it easier for me to identify as somebody who is going to be faithful to my wife no matter what. And I just feel like it's really important as we talk about Christianity to let people know that this isn't something that we just act. It's who we are. It's a mindset for life. The major difference between Christianity and secularism, I want to be faithful and loving to other people versus I feel like secularism says, what can I do for me? Because if I wanted to do this for me, I would probably be in LA somewhere like screwing every man I could find. But part of that is for a lot of Christians, you know, they we talk about the sacredness of marriage and then they go and break up over the toothpaste not being screwed on. And I know that's a symptom of deeper problems. Yeah. But if you're going to have a 50% divorce rate, and then the churches are just going to kind of go, well, we'd prefer it if you don't divorce. But if you do, you do. You see a guy, 
at the altar on his fourth marriage and he's not even 50. And you're going, what are you doing? And the priest is going, oh, we're so happy to be here. He's fake. But are we? And the thing is, kids can see through that. I think that's the thing is I know parents who go to dive bars with their friends. They get drunk. They do all this sort of thing. They talk about how in college they did a keg stand and they go all for all these different things. And then they turn around and the kid's standing right there and they go, by the way, don't drink. They're like, but what happens next? Yeah, I've seen the same thing happen where in our family, I can't say too directly because I feel if I say who, it'll be very obvious very quickly. But somebody close in our family, he went to and he was a freshman and we were aware that he was drinking underage. And my wife and I were talking about it and she was like, well, this isn't surprising because I know that his parents would let him drink at home, which you're allowed to do in the state of Ohio, and they would offer him to drink a little bit of a beer now and then, you know, or something like that at home. And it was just like, okay, just because it's legal doesn't mean that you are suggesting something that is good for somebody to do when it's, because it's not legal in all cases. At school, at college, it's not legal, but you're setting a precedent that it's okay because of what you are allowing them to do at home when you probably shouldn't have encouraged that in the first place if you were going to be concerned about what they did outside the home. You know, it's really hard. Let's think about this. Everybody's been 16. Guy's perspective, there's a really cute girl and she's talking about, I would love to spend some time with you. Why don't we just do this? And if they're a pretty girl, they know how to get you <laughs> and they can draw you in that way. What are you leaving them with so that they can say to that girl, hey, no, because you know what that guy's going to do? Look, I know what I'm not supposed to do. I've got a handle on it. And then it's a little bit more. And then all of a sudden he's going, how did I get here? And then you're wondering where this all came from. That's kind of the issue mm -hmm. is what are you leaving him that's going to actually carry him through those situations that are emotionally hormonally, <laughs> socially tense for the situation. Yeah. When you're trying to find what's the honorable thing to do and you're not really sure and there's be somebody smack talking somebody else because everybody will be like, yeah, I don't gossip. So by the way, so-and-so, did you know they're dating with so-and-so and did you know that person over there? Yeah, I can't believe that they were. And then <laughs> all of a sudden you're going, oh, wait a minute. Look at how quickly that happened. Mm -hmm. I, I think that just brings up the second problem that I see in Christianity is Christians have decided that Instead of answering these issues with any actual wading into the water, they've decided to only respond to things in a socially palatable way. They back down on almost every issue. Yeah. How many parents in a church will listen to a sermon where the pastor talks about keeping yourself pure for marriage? And you'll see people like in tears, their hands are raised. They'll shake the pastor's hand. Oh, we've just been waiting for somebody to say this. This is so key. We're so glad our son and daughters were here to hear that. Thank you so much. You hear that at the end of the service. And then the mom or dad two days later is at a party and they're going, yeah. So I give them condoms just in case. Blew that guy's speech right uh, out of the water. Personal, the number of people in my extended Catholic family who turned a totally blind eye to the fact that you know, such and such daughter has decided to move in with her boyfriend a few months before getting married just because they could and just let it go. And I was telling my wife, I was like, okay, if I was that girl's father, 
I would probably be saying to her, hey, this is mathematical. We know that people who move in together before getting married are more likely to divorce and it has nothing to do with religion. So why are you doing this? It's really frustrating to me as a person because I've definitely attended a number of weddings where I knew that people were living together before they got married. And in most of the cases, I found out the the day of or the day after. And I would get really pissed off because as a person, I would like to emotionally get past or get through and mourn it and then go and say, I'm going to give it to God because that's what any of us can do. And then pray that they do that too because they've made this decision that I definitely don't support. And it's one of those things where I feel like at a minimum, it's deception for somebody to, you know, live together for some period of time, go up there on that Catholic stage and have the priest, you know, just we're happy to be here. And he's making this conversation with everyone there as if you've followed what best represents Catholicism or Christianity, and you're not, and you aren't. Why? As a married Catholic, you actually meet with the priest beforehand, and one of the questions he asks you is, are you living together? Exactly. And that's what kills me, because I'm like, okay, so either they straight up lied to that priest at one point, or they weren't living together when they answered the question and then moved in together after they answered the question, because we don't have to answer the question ever again. And I've seen the same thing happen with friends of mine who are Christians, and it frustrates me a lot, because I'm just like, seriously? Meanwhile, I am that friend who will tell my friends, right, say like, hey, I know that you guys are trying to work this out so that you can have somebody move into the apartment that's going to be the two of yours first and then get married and move the other person in. If there's some sort of problem with the dates, getting it to work out, I have a perfectly decently large guest room and I have plenty of space. And if you want help moving that person's stuff into that apartment and then they come and stay with me for a couple of weeks, that's fine. I'll do whatever I can do to help support that. I'm going to make it easier for you to do the right thing. You know, that was something that I wanted to do in college, and it's something that I can't afford to do now that I'm post-college and have my own place. But that's kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier about they're not sure about they do why. They're not fully aware of why they do what they do because think of the situation that you described. They're getting married in August, but her lease is up in June, right? You know, and so do you move in for those two months? What if it's the same situation, but 10 months beforehand? Is there like a line? And that's the situation where kids are like, oh no, we want to follow these rules, but this just kind of makes sense. And that's why I say, let me present you with an alternative solution that will also allow you to pay no extra money. Like, cause I get it. Like there's a financial reason not to do it. And it it might cost you money. Who thought that this was going to be painless or cost nothing is wrong. It's supposed to cost you something because you're supposed to be giving your actions and your wealth and you know, everything you have to the Lord. I don't own anything. Yeah. And then the other thing is people will oftentimes say, well, I don't want people to think I'm weird. And my reaction is, who cares? Well, aren't you in a church? Doesn't well, those people shouldn't weird? think you're weird. Yeah, seriously. But if, but if you're worried about like your work friends thinking that you're weird, big whoop. Anyone who cares about you isn't going to think that it's wrong. It's not wrong that you have morals and that you stand up for them. They might even respect you more to know that you have morals that you stand up for. Exactly. And I think that's the thing. I think for a lot of reason that you see these kids leaving the church by the time they're 18, it's a function of the fact that kids are looking for an identity. They're looking for a purpose. They're looking to build their life. And so when you're presenting them with a almost veneer 
and say, hey, just live with a veneer, they're going to say, well, that seems like a dumb idea, and they're going to find something else. Right? Spirituality is on the rise, not because they're Christians and they don't even know it. They're looking for something to fulfill their mm-hmm. lives. They're looking for something to chase after. Yeah. People want God. They do. They're just not sure where to look. Yeah, and the problem is, is they look at Christianity and all they see is Trump voters, rednecks, and stuffy old people who don't actually believe anything they're saying. Like, that's what they see at the church. Mm-hmm. Now, part of that is going to be media manipulation. Part of that is correct. Well, and to, to be perfectly clear, you know, a lot of Catholics believe that Christianity is works plus faith equals salvation, as opposed to the main Christian church, which is faith alone equals salvation. And it's a very big difference because Catholicism essentially, quote unquote, allows people to believe that their works are enough, like just going to mass every week, as opposed to having a transformative faith where they believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and that they need to ask for forgiveness in order for his sacrifice to make them clean to God so that they may be able to reach salvation and be with God, which is essentially wrapped with a bow on it. Yeah. As a Catholic, there is definitely a lot of the parts of the Catholic Church that is very reasonable, but Catholics take it too far. Exactly. <laughs> At college, there was a kid who was a Calvinist, became an atheist, and then became a Catholic when he refound his faith. And they were walking around the school chapel, and they had taken out the stained glass windows for restoration, and they had just put them back in. And so the kid he was walking around with was like, oh, what beautiful stained glass windows. And the, the the newly found Catholic said the most Catholic response he went, oh, a lot of pictures of heretics. And <laughs> it's like, oh, wow, way to just start a fight. Think of all the times you've had Catholics say super catholic things about how there's the one true church and they talk about all these different things. There's currently a Catholic priest who's just rampaging around Chicago, just completely preaching heretical things. <laughs> like oh, dear. straight up, the church is wrong. He, they have no idea what they're talking about. This is ridiculous. These people are this. He's posting like political things left and right. And the Catholic Church is kind of like, well, if he wants to do what he wants to do. But if you're going to come to me and say, well, Matthew, you're not sure about purgatory. What's going on there? I'm going to return with the Catholic priest who believes doing about him. And I'm going to come in and say, hey, purgatory. I don't even see any indication in scripture that it's anything other than a figment of somebody's imagination that they wrote down into a Catholic belief structure. Yeah, and the thing is, I don't think it's an issue about the different doctrines, although I think there is an issue just with people, but I don't think that the different doctrines are what is turning people away from the church and God. I think it's the fact that they want to just get away from the church. They want to get away from God because they don't want to be locked into something they feel is hypocritical. They want to actually find fulfillment. And the problem is when they meet other Christians, it just turns them off and it's not attractive anymore. And when you're not on the social top of the ladder, you're going to have to do things that are socially unpalatable. So if your daughter is found sleeping with a guy and you say, well, I'm going to put her under lock and key because this is unacceptable. Because that is reasonable. He's trying to do the right thing by his children and do all that. Everybody would say that. However, nowadays you'd have a strong contingent of people that would be calling for your head. Mm. You'd lose friends. People would look at you sideways. It's not palatable follow everything Christian in a post-Christian society. It just isn't. 
and it's not attractive. It's not fun. You can lose friendships. You can lose jobs. I mean, how many Christians have ever actually said, hey, I can't work Sunday. That's when I go to church. Right? Not very many. Right. <laughs> it's, there are a number of purposes for specific reasons. They say, I need to work my job. But to take this a different way, how many Christians say that it's perfectly fine to skip church because their kid has an away game for soccer and it happens right. every week? Uh, and if he's not, then he's not going to work. And then they make fun of Easter and Christmas Christians. So you just punch the time card a little bit more than them. What's your claim of fame? Well, I go half the year. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. And so it's very easy. To and I, I just see parents doing it. I see pastors, they don't want to approach controversial subjects because they're afraid, well, the attendance will be down. The attendance is already down. What are you afraid of there, buddy? Yeah, I've seen that with uh, my prior church, and I've recently, I've been, I'm becoming a member at a newer church that's close by, and it's very interesting because sometimes they'll speak about things from where I'm like, okay, I don't necessarily agree where you're going with that, but I applaud that you're going somewhere that will take us to a place where people would disagree with you because at least you're willing to push something. You're recognizing that you have a platform and that if you don't use it, then you've literally taken it for granted to the point where you don't say anything new or you don't say anything that makes people think deeply about deeply rooted issues. I think for that article that I referenced earlier, the, it was an article that was written by the CEO of Christianity Today. He wrote the article. And in the article, the suggestion that modern Christians, people who are alive today, need to start paying for the sins of the past because we carry that sin. Hashtag reparations. Right. The reparations because Christianity had a hand in it. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, this is somebody who looked at what his Christian faith said. And this faith said, hey, you are not part of those sins. You can't carry that person's sins. You can't atone for someone else. As C.S. Lewis would say, their story is their story and your story is your story. You, you can't be involved in other people's stories. The sins that I've committed are mine. My wife does not need to go to God and apologize for them. It's pride. It's pride to say that I can atone for somebody else's sins as if I could interject for you and repent for the things that you have done. I can't do that at all. Where is my power to define that for you? I haven't lived a perfect life. I certainly am not going to be able to now, even though I consider myself a saved born-again Christian. It's really not possible. And what I see behind it is that he's afraid to speak what his faith tells him. He's afraid to go out there and say, racism in the past, but what we're going to address is those who are committing racism today. We are not going to address the past by sacrificing the people in the present. We are not going to stick the sin of the father on the son. That's the old law. and Christians are born again. We don't, we don't view things that way. If he said that, He'd be all over Twitter. He'd be trending. There'd be a CNN expose on how one time back in high school, he stole a kid's lunch money. And this is the kind of people Christians have on their CEO. He'd be canceled. And here's the other thing. Christians would turn away from him for saying what they believe. One of the things that has galled me 
over the last 10 years mm-hmm. is a Christian will state a Christian belief and all the other Christians will go, we don't really do that right now. We don't really say that to people. It sounds bad, but we all... People won't want to come to church. They won't want to engage with us. I'm going, they're not engaging you with you now. Oh, when I was starting to get in with this church, I was involved. I'm still involved with a number of couples that are younger, which is great because they're our age. One of them that's in the church, he's a deacon, and I get to hear all sorts of things. And they apparently had an evening where they had some of the people that were people of color that go to the church, and they had them come back to the leadership as a for something that they called, quote, racial conciliation to discuss why attendance from Black Americans is in the church overall. And I'm just like, okay, that's really interesting and super awkward. Racial reconciliation, that's the term you're going to use for it. Reconciliation. Interesting. What do a bunch of people in the middle of Ohio have to do with racial reconciliation besides opening up the doors and being friendly with everyone like we already are. What does that mean today in 2021? So when you reconcile the races, that means they're all going to be Christians? Great. Now what happens? Yeah, like I'm really friendly with my neighbor who is black and has a black spouse and black children. Where do we need to be reconciled there? Last summer when we moved in, I got peaches and I made a peach pie and I just took it over. And I had already told him I was going to do that. And then another time later in the year, I brought some sort of apple dessert over with him and his specifically to talk to them about what future careers could look like. Because as it turns out in 2021, you can go to basically any school if your grades are good enough and get an education. And I was encouraging these kids to really think about their future and not just do what their dad does because they know that there's a sustainable life there. And these are conversations I'm having. It doesn't matter what color skin we are. I would say the same things that I said to them about education that I would say to white kids. And that's how I consider it with Christianity, where I would say that I am perfectly happy to be just as kind to any person of color as I am with any person who shares my skin color. And I feel like when you call it racial reconciliation, you're saying that we need to be reconciled. And in Christian terms, I feel like you're using it in a way we all have to reconcile with our biases in the same way that we say we all need to reconcile that we are sinners. No, children aren't born innately racist. Like, Some people might claim that if you have a blind child, they're not just going to be racist. If you have a child who can't hear or see, they're not just going to be racist. It's something that you would learn. And we throw those terms around way too much. And I feel like reconciliation in the church, it's just the wrong word to use when we know we need to be reconciled with Jesus Christ for our sins. But not everyone needs to reconcile with innate racism. Maybe innate prejudices but not innate racism. Most people don't want to go kill the neighborhood black people. (laughs) I was watching somebody on Twitter and they were saying that we did. But I think this sort of brings us to people don't want to deal with the fact that there is evil from inside the person. It's very convenient 
for us to put the evil somewhere else, or at least the big evil. Because it means that as long as we're fighting it, we're doing our job. And it's adventurous. It's a battle. You're going to get up. You win some, you lose some. You find soldiers in the trenches. When you... That's what usually you all see happen is there will be movements that come up. They, they usually call themselves progressive. The current one that's going around is the deconstruction movement. Okay. So this movement, for the longest time, I had no idea what the deconstruction movement was. And one of my sisters, who is taking a, quote, break from the faith, she specifically said that, like, she was getting into the deconstruction movement. And at first I was like, oh, deconstructing your faith, that's really great. And then she forwarded to me, like, a podcast of people from the deconstruction movement. And I was listening to this podcast, and it was a number of people that are LGBTQ+, uh, some of them with degrees in some sorts of spiritualism and things. And I'm just listening to them discuss these like very specific biblical points. And I'm like sitting there listening to this and thinking, you guys have totally got it wrong. You've totally missed the essence of faith by making it super legalistic in the exact opposite way that you were trying to fight legalism because you are separating out everything into its individual parts. And in doing so, that's how you could end up saying that monogamous gay couples are okay in the Lord's eyes. And I'm like, no, if you're going to deconstruct your faith into its individual pieces, what that should really mean in the ideal world is that you go through the names of God and you segment God into all these different pieces and say, God did all of these different things together, all the different attributes. He is all of them. God is holy and God is judgmental, but he is also loving. You can't just say God is love and therefore he wants me to be happy and therefore my lifestyle of living as a gay man who is in a relationship with another sin man. is removed from the equation yeah it blows my mind because i'm sitting there listening to these people discuss these things and realizing they are so lost because they have decided that god not christianity god has affirmed their faith because everyone around them is affirming who they are and it's wrong meanwhile they are not worshiping the same God that I'm worshiping. They are worshiping a piece of the same God. They are literally worshiping themselves, or they are at least being extremely prideful to think that who they are, what sin they're chasing after, is just that much more important than the actual I am of the Bible. That who they are and what they want to be is more important. And it's just... It's wrong. Nowhere in the Bible are you going to find support for choosing a sin and then saying, look, it's salvation because I want it to be. Never going to happen. I was reading a post actually on the subject from one of the big heroes of this movement, which is uh, Rachel Held Evans. And one of the things that she said was, they told me that if I welcomed in LGBTQ people, that the church would be corrupted. I remember looking at that going, no church has the position that if you welcome in people who are sinners, the problem is when you arrive, we say you need to rid yourself of it. That's the struggle. That's taking up your cross. Another post I was reading from Deconstructionist, they were talking about why they do this and how it failed by the church. And it was like, they're kind of angry. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they went, we're sick and tired 
of churches that don't support BLM, that don't support Antifa, that don't support LGBTQ, that don't support universal health care. They picked political positions. They walked into a room and said, hey, do you guys support these things? The people in there went, no, God supports me. And I have cracked the code. I have discovered the meaning. I, the 21-year-old business economics major, has solved the mystery of the Bible. This is where we have to come back to the fact that there is absolutely nothing new under the sun. And in the words of Ecclesiastes, everything is meaningless. So nothing is meaningful without a faith in Jesus Christ. And those people understand that they need a faith in God, that their life can't be separate without a faith from God. But then they flip the switch and say that it's what I want is what is right because God doesn't make mistakes. And you fall off your rocker going, yeah, but you still have sin nature or what happened there? I actually know somebody who said something in the group. The response that came into my head at the time would have been really bad because it would have just been straight up laughing at her. <laughs> and somebody was saying that they struggle with the Old Testament because they see all these rules and they started asking themselves, wait a minute, if this is the law, then this would give me some indication of what God wants me to do. And I struggle with some of these things. And the old law is still alive. It we is. just we are dead to it. Mm -hmm. It takes very strong positions on a lot of things, and it does give you a lot of history for why the church changes and how meaningful it is that those changes occurred. Right. This person responded to this woman. I couldn't believe it. She said, we have to remember that people back then could only handle certain information, so God gave them the information that would make sense in their culture. And then he revealed to us more as we got more knowledgeable. And I was about to say, the arrogance of you to declare that you are more capable of handling God than someone else. What arrogance? What, do you have an iPhone? So you're just better than someone? Who are you? You were talking about the fact that you almost flunked out of theology school. And you're about to tell me that you know more than St. Thomas Aquinas. You need to sit right back down. You are out of your mind. Mm -hmm. This person is insane. I still know this person. Five years later, guess what they're posting? Deconstruction. Great. They found something that believes what they do. Another person, he has a degree from a seminary. And he said that he knows what God is and compassion. So only the parts of the Bible that are loving and compassionate are actually the words of God and everything else is written by man and does not apply. Pure heresy. And he goes, I'm a Nazarene. I'm going, no, you're not. You need to be honest about that. <laughs> it's amazing because the words in the Bible that say that you cannot add or subtract from the word of God and that those that do are going straight to the pits of hell. Like, it's there. So I think we've complained a lot about the church and I was probably asking why we were still Christians at this point, but I want to wrap up with what does the church need to do then? What does it need to do to address this? Mm -hmm. And I think the solution, which is easier said than done is that the church is too often telling people about the rules of the game rather than going on the adventure of the game with people. When you're unboxing 
a game for the first time and you're learning how to play it, it's not really fun. It's reading the rules is not fun. Mm-hmm. Right? The fun is the game. And you're reading the rules to have fun at the game. But if you are simply repeating the game rules constantly, after the third or fourth read through, people are going to start getting on their phones. They're going to start drifting off. They're going to start heading away because they're just going to say, yeah, yeah I know that. I, I know that you roll your dice, you move your mice. I get that. That's great. And I think the issue is there are hierarchies in everything, right? Because that's part of the issue with the deconstruction. Is, is they think the fact that the church has a hierarchy is a problem. Any hierarchy, any social order, any system is going to tend towards power. It degenerates towards that because everyone's flawed. It just does. You can't get rid of hierarchies, so you have to deal with their effect. And so the issue is... A lot of people, as it begins to tend towards power, or they spot it tending towards power, they will say the system is the evil. And it's easy when you default to that. Mm. When you say the problem is not that we're not going to church or that we're not following the commands of God or that we're not engaging the word. Or the issue is the priests. If the priests were not doing those things with those boys then we could be Christian. And so we're fighting the system. It's easy to say the church, they have all this money. I'm renewing the church. And it's so exciting to go on that adventure. But the problem is that adventure is not actually fulfilling in the end. And what you watch is people start flaming out. Mm -hmm. And people start falling away. And then the ones who are left behind, they still fall away because for them, there's, there's nothing going on. How many times are you going to hear a version of Jesus loves you as the response to life's problems before you simply go, these people don't know what they're talking about. Someone will come up and they'll say, Hey, I've knocked up my girlfriend. And then I lost my job a few months afterwards. My parents are going to kill me. I don't know what to do. She wants an abortion, but I don't believe in abortion. But if I keep her, then my life's over. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. And the first response I hear from a Christian is, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. It's like, now what? Right. And the thing is, when he goes back to that girl and he says, I want to keep the child and the girl doesn't want to, the girl's saying, look, we're going to solve this problem real quick. There's a Planned Parenthood down the street. We're just going to solve this. Boom. We're, we're going to be done with it. What is he going to have to get him through that? As she's crying, sobbing, throwing things, threatening to leave him, threatening to tell his parents right then, I'm going to call your mom. I got her on the phone right here. All that is going on. What's going to get him through that? Well, Hey, the guy down at the church said, Jesus loved me. So there you go. Yeah. It's, hey, when I was younger, my wife got pregnant beforehand. Mm-hmm. And I had the abortion. And I want to tell you, I have not slept a day since. And you yeah. provide those things. The next step is becoming the hands and feet of Jesus in the midst of that difficulty and saying, we are going to be with you every step of the way. We're going to do the best we can to help provide you with the things that you guys need to support this process, to support a pregnancy, and to support a child afterwards. Right. And you have to continue the instruction. When Paul says you were kids and you were not ready for solid food, he's not saying that they're all kids. There's a continuous learning and a continuous struggle that occurs. And there are... A lot of things that go on that are not covered in explicit biblical texts on how to deal with a community. Mm-hmm. You can't find the Bible verse on how do you properly debate. 
we have to pull from our principles and our values. And then you have to uphold them even when they're not. One of the things that I found that was amazing was I know somebody who threw a baby shower for somebody who had gotten um, pregnant with their boyfriend and then the boyfriend had left them. Wow. And the first question from a lot of people were, excuse me, how are you throwing a baby shower? You preach sex after marriage. How are you doing that? And they went, you're correct. We do preach that. However, this is a mother who is in need of help. And that's another one of our principles. To be compassionate. Right. To be compassionate. We have not stopped saying that. But we didn't need to go and tell her she's wrong. She knows. She's aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We know we, there's someone very close to us who has two children and she's unmarried. And that's how her parents approached it. They said, we're going to be here for you. Of course, we don't like how this is happening, but we love you. We're going to love this child and we're going to make the most of the situation. She's becoming a member at this church that I'm going to as well. And she's going to be giving her testimony. I'm giving mine. And it's by the grace of God that we're in a place where she can stand at the front of the church and say, hey, I've had two kids. I'm unwed. I realized that I needed to not be with this man rather than marry him. And God has been faithful to me. And that's my story. And for me, that I can stand up there and say, hey, I'm a man who has same-sex attraction tendencies and I still have faith in the Lord and I've chosen to identify as a child of God. And that's changed the outcome and the outlook of my life forever. And that is celebrated in the church today. Like that is a celebratory thing that we can celebrate the adventure that I and she, that we've come to a place where we are going to choose God above ourselves and our needs and our wants because God is going to fulfill those for us. And the thing is, there's going to be an attack on you because of that. Mm -hmm. There's going to be people who say you're wrong. I told them that when I was trying to figure out my same-sex attraction, that what I heard from the LGBTQ plus community was, if you're a Christian, then you must hate yourself. And these are supposed to be the most loving people that I know. And that wasn't the message I heard at all. But it's the fact that it's not that you forgot what was a sin. It's that you applied your values and you lived them out and you consistently worked. If you're going to say that there is sin and the sin must be dealt with, but then you're also going to say that there is the love of Christ, that's really hard to live out on a day-to-day basis. And that's where I think the church is failing. That's where I think this is coming from. You're either the moral majority or you're the rebellious sinner. How many Christians are defending the use of satanic imagery in a Lil Nas X video as well? He can do what he wants. Understandable. He can't do what he wants. It's not illegal. If somebody came to me and said, we should make that illegal, I would say, no, that's not illegal. No. But there's a lot of Christians going in there going, well, hey, that's what people do today. I don't have any opinion on it. You don't have any opinion on it. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm like, you shouldn't be doing that, but it's my responsibility as a past and future parent to be in control of what my child will and won't see so that I don't let them just sit on YouTube for hours on hours watching his content. Yeah. You know, I, I remember because I'm a Catholic and I arrived at a school full of Bible Belt Christians. And I, I remember one of them saying, I hope everything works out with the girl because you don't want to start again when you're 50. And I go, what do you mean start again? And they were like, well, if you get married and then you divorce. And I said, well, I wouldn't get remarried after that. And they went, what do you mean? I said, well, I get married once. That's it. Unless there is 
one of the special reasons laid out in the Bible that occurred. Like passed away. Yeah, the spouse passed away. There's certain ones that you can get. But even then, even for me, for passing away, I'm not getting remarried after that. And a lot of people were like, why wouldn't you? And I said, well, because that's my wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've been joined together. I'm not separating it. Now considered to be an old belief, even though it's not. Christians made fun of me for that belief. Why do you think people are not going to be in the church if Christians are not going to stand up for somebody else's belief? Now, the kids who discussed it with me, though, that's different, right? Because they're saying, oh, well, I believe this. And that was different. But mm-hmm. there were quite literally people who were like, that's stupid. Wow. What do you mean? <laughs> you actually believe that stuff? Nobody believes that stuff. But he had just, oh, homeschooled. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. You'll figure it out soon, bud. Welcome to the real world. And I was sitting there going, well, hold on a second. Where do you go? Oh, well, I go to such and such, and I'm very proud. God is my rock, my center, my everything. I read the Bible every day. I do Bible quizzing. I was on the competitive team when I was in high school. Really? So who's the crazy one now? And I think that's part of the issue. Parents, with your kids, tell them why. Walk them through the why of something. Mm-hmm. Explain to them that things may work out even when you're sinning. If you sin, then everything goes to hell. No. <laughs> Eventually, it goes to hell. In the meantime, they can feel like they're in heaven. Doing drugs, banging whoever, watching porn, living life as a degenerate, you can do that. And it's fun. But have you considered your immortal soul? <laughs> so that's what I think people need to be thinking about more, is that the church needs to tell everybody about the adventure and not just these hypothetical, you can make a rational point from the Bible, but people are going to connect with the story. Thanks for listening. And if you have a comment, question, or rant, we'd love to hear it. Email us at bluestateconversations at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and find our articles on Medium. If you like this podcast, share it with a friend. No matter what state you're in, blue, red, or purple, there is always room at the table to discuss your views in a way that lets us all grow. 